0: This message was presented at the GYC Conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Well, good morning, GYC. Well, with the thousands that are in attendance, I believe that our voices could be stronger. Good morning, GYC. Hey, Amen. It's good to let the folks out there know that you're here. This morning, I am going to adopt you as my church. Amen? Amen. Uh, Throughout the years of ministry that I have been granted from the Lord, it has been my privilege to pastor numerous congregations around the country. and When I speak on a Sabbath elsewhere, I have to adopt you and make you a part of my family. I hope that you will adopt me. Amen. This morning we are here to venture into a, an understanding of Scripture. We have looked at this passage many times before, but we are going to approach it with fresh eyes today. And before we do that, a couple of special acknowledgments that I want to to make at this point. Um, Normally, because the time is so precious, um, there isn't given the opportunity based on the clock that's running, Uh, the privilege of giving special greetings, but I'm going to take that time and recover it on the other side. I want to acknowledge uh, my son Samuel the third who drove from Huntsville, Alabama late last night after a full day of work, to be with his dad, and that's meaningful to me. And when we have so many that are so concerned about their young people and the direction that they are going and the decisions that they're making, I am grateful and humbly honored that my son and I are so strongly bonded amen. I also want to give a special acknowledgement this morning to a person that you probably know, and uh, Pastor Chris Holland. You may know him from his work, It Is Written Canada, and also his present responsibilities at Hope Lives, I think it's 360 or 365, with uh, Pastor Mark Finley. Uh, He was my pastor for a season and he is a wonderful man of God and I appreciate him deeply and why am I making this a public statement? Because he took the time to coordinate a special prayer with me this morning and I think that's meaningful. Amen. Well, let's go to the Word of God. Let's see what the Word of God has to say. Father in heaven, Thank you for this moment where you have invited us into your presence. Give us your Holy Spirit, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. I want to express my gratitude to Pastor Ratsara and the GYC leadership for the opportunity to stand here and to share with each of you what the Lord has laid on my heart. Um, I think that we are mature enough as Christians, those who are gathered here today, to recognize that in the Seventh-day Adventist church, we have an identity crisis we're not quite sure of who we are or who we want to be. And the purpose of our message this morning is to bring us back to God's calling in our lives, individually and corporately. Because ultimately when we fail to recognize what God has assigned to us, we will venture into mission practices and belief systems that are driven by humanistic values and the broken, carnal, sinful heart. I believe that there's not another gathering that I can identify where young adults convene to spend time building their biblical Christian experience and congregating in prayer, planned Bible study, appropriate Christian socialization, and instructions in prophecy like GYC. This group represents a rare, unique, special group of Seventh-day Adventist Christians. You are indeed few among many. Now that should not surprise any of us today or viewers or various, on various media outlets. God's people are not and have never been the majority. According to Google, as of December 2019, the global population stands at 7.8 billion people. 7.8 billion people. The four most populous cities on the planet are Tokyo with 38.1 million, Delhi, India, 25.7 million, Shanghai, China, 23.74 million, Sao Paulo, Brazil, 21 million. And our global membership as a church Google reports as a mere 25 million. Oh, we're proud of that number. But in reality, we are 0.33% of the world's total inhabitants. We are a minority of humanity, a minority within Christianity. We are few. Or are we? When the news story broke in California, based on their state legislature's proposal to control the content of Christian sermons, it came and went without a whimper from the general Christian community. Many did not understand the serious implication of the law being proposed. The headlines read, California Senate passes resolution telling pastors to embrace LGBTQ beliefs. Carried by the Christian Broadcasting Network, their correspondent, Andrea Morris, acknowledged that the passage of the resolution meant that it was telling Christians, quote, telling Christians Christian clergy to accept and support LGBTQ ideology, even if doing so violated their Christian beliefs. The Assembly Concurrent Resolution 99, ACR 99, was introduced by Democratic State Assemblyman Evan Lowe of San Jose on June the 4th of 2019 as a way to gather support for the LGBTQ identity and behaviors. But Protestant America was caught off guard. Quickly, political influencers were mobilized to construct social guardrails for the Christian community. They didn't see it coming. The question needs to be asked, why didn't they see it coming? They didn't see it coming because they had forgotten the Holy Scripture. In Luke 17, 28, the Bible says, Jesus says, Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. Lot was a resident of Sodom. Paul further expands our view of the last days in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of them, their own selves. And it goes down to as it granulates to this point without natural affection. The Bible has warned us about the condition of the people in the last days. How do we respond to the crisis? Where can we find biblical, solutions for the expanding crisis of immorality? Can we find the answer in popular Christianity? That's a question I want you to ponder for just a moment. And while you give that consideration, before we pursue the answer, I invite you to consider what the Bible says about a small group of people in the last days. In Revelation chapter 14, 12, the Bible describes the characteristics of this small group in these words. Here is the patience of the saints. If you know the passage, say it with me. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the what? Faith of Jesus. Now, let's go back to our previous question. Can we find the solution for the crisis in popular Christianity? And the answer is a resounding no. Why? And as your pastor today, I want to share this with you. This is going to be a tough statement, but hear me. Because all Protestant denominations have forsaken the Bible as their only guide. They profess to love Jesus, but they fail to prove it. Because obedience to God is the evidence of love toward God. In popular Christianity, obedience to God's word and his commands are not expected or encouraged. However, Jesus said, if you love me, what did he say? Keep my commandments. And they don't. Further, they corrupt the prophetic messages of Daniel and Revelation by their erroneous interpretations of Scripture. Spiritualism has infiltrated their worship services. Their members pursue an emotional high through an experience-based form of worship. Scripture is a platform to propagate the elevation of the self rather than the pursuing of biblical truth. They only want to feel good. They follow in the ways of Cain. They seek to please themselves, but not God. They trample on the plainest scriptural principles. They openly disregard God as sovereign by disregarding his directive to remember him as creator. For human beings, this is inevitable. Consider this. We were warned this would happen. This is what it looks like now not only in our country but around the world. In 2019, major world religions and environmentalists expressed hope and promise in the papal encyclical Laudato Si' on care for our common home from Pope Francis. The papal call for environmental care is used as a common ground for all religious belief systems to unite. It seems harmless, but there is a hidden agenda behind the invitation. This movement of promoting unity of different religions under one banner is called an ecumenical movement. Within the documents, 184 pages, Pope Francis introduces readers to the gospel of creation. He defines it in chapter 2, where he calls for humanity, to respect the laws of nature. He writes, quote, this responsibility for God's earth means that human beings endowed with intelligence must respect the laws of nature. Along these same lines rest on the seventh day. What day did he say? Seventh day is meant not only for human beings but also that your ox and your donkey may have rest." He defines the meaning of seventh day in these words. Listen carefully. All it takes is one good person to restore hope. The biblical tradition clearly shows that this renewal entails recovering and respecting the rhythms described in nature by the hand of the Creator. We see this, for example, in the law of the Sabbath. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. He commanded Israel to set aside each seventh day as a day of rest, a Sabbath. So now listen to your pastor today. The Sabbath he is referring to is not Saturday, but Sunday. Not God's Sabbath. The ecumenical movement has solidified, united around common interests in vain pursuit of justice in a sin-sick world. Protestant denominations are seeking to find peace and safety on a planet my Bible says, your Bible says, is fast hitting to an end. They do not see the prophetic agenda. They're promoting, here's a tough statement, a false gospel. But the few should understand what is going on. You and I should see the truth of what is developing. To believe as we do makes us an even smaller group. What does that look like? Consider the headlines of November 2019. Headlines read, using hate labels to demonize Christians the SPLC, that's the Southern Poverty Leadership Center, put this Christian ministry on par with the Clue Klux plan. The D. James Kennedy is a Christian media outlet or ministry founded in 1974 by the late Dr. D. James Kennedy as Coral Ridge Ministries, is fighting back against the Southern Poverty Law Center for putting it on the center's hate map. Why were they identified as haters? Because they took an opposing view of the LGBTQ agenda. Headlines. September 12th, 2019, Pope Francis announced an initiative. What was it? It was an initiative inviting global heads of state, business leaders, academics, sports personalities to Rome, May the 14th, 2020. His theme, Reinventing the Global Educational Alliance. What does it mean? Re-educating the world to a new perspective in environmental stewardship. His goal, the unification of people and religions. Why don't we hear anybody talking about this? Why are the Protestants not able to define it in a prophetic context? And their silence is deafening. What does it mean about the current Protestant churches? I want to introduce you to someone, Dr. Ronald Cook. He's president of Breckville Bible College in Virginia. He is an Irish Protestant. This is his takeaway in his book, The De-Protestantizing of America. He writes, in many ways Vatican II, a watershed council before it, there had been all controversy between the Protestant Bible believers and their humanistic and Jesuitical opponents the majority of Protestants in North America were still looked upon as conservative in their beliefs before Vatican II. But after Vatican II, this was no longer the case. Dr. Cook continues, the New Evangelicals began to agree with the Jesuits of the old conservative way of trying to reach people that it was too rigid. It was not reaching people fast enough. And the world population was outstripping church growth. You ever heard that before? Dr. Cook's response is one potential answer, but the Bible gives us more, so much more, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. Scripture gives us the best understanding when we examine the context of inspiration's view of the few. In the book of Revelation, Christ discloses his final representatives to the world as a small group. He calls them a remnant. Remnant. A remainder or residual that had escaped, left posterity. And what is so fascinating about this understanding of the remnant it is that it is supported elsewhere if we actually take the time to research it. The remnant only have value and significance if placed in a larger meaning or context. To be identified as a remnant of anything, there must be a setting or context, a remnant of whom or what, why, where, and when. What is a remnant? Let me share this with you. From Adventist Affirm, Fall 1933, Dr. Gerhard Hasel wrote, listen to this. Since there is not another religious body today outside of Seventh-day Adventists, which uniquely and specifically has the characteristics of the remnant faith and carries their marks, it follows that Adventists, as they meet, All the aspects of the remnant are the final remnant of the end time. This does not mean that there are no other Christians who live temporarily on the basis of limited light. They too are children of God. But until they join the commandment-keeping, faith of Jesus, holding remnant, they are not part of the final remnant. In the course of time, all children of God, whether in Christian churches or non-Christian religions, who listen to the Spirit of God and follow His wooings will be drawn by the faithful, global proclamation of the everlasting gospel of the final remnant of faith, which even now proclaims this message with power and conviction. The scripture reveal a more comprehensive view of the few, by example or as type for us to study, there are three Hebrew young men who are a type of the few, the remnant. In the book of Daniel, we read the historical documentation about King Nebuchadnezzar sending an invitation to gather all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. The catch? He wanted the attendees to worship an image of himself. It was prompted by music and motivated by ecumenism, the integration of all religions. All those who came had to bow down. Does this sound familiar with what Christ said will happen in the end times? A supreme leader of a civil religious power will command the people of the world under his banners to worship the image he has created. Among the people who gathered there, three Hebrew men refused to worship the king. And his image. They were the few who stood and withstood. They kept the commandments of God. Daniel three thirteen. Let's go back to it. This is what the Bible says. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do not ye serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace." What a choice. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, by faith, intersected with obedience and fulfilled the first half of Revelation 14, 12, they kept the commandments of God. But the verse does not stop there. The second half of the verse says of Revelation 14, 12, that they have the faith of Jesus. Let's see how they stand up to that test. Verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In the margin, it literally is translated like this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to return a word to you in this matter. Do we have that kind of boldness? Do we have that kind of determined commitment? Are we as focused on serving the Lord, not in doing something for the Lord, but not bending toward evil? They continue speaking. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. Now pay attention to this next verse. Listen to what it says. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They have the faith that God is indeed able to fulfill his promise in Isaiah 43.2. Isaiah 43.2 says, if you're not familiar with it, listen to what it says. When thou walkest through the fire, you shall not be consumed." Amen. But even if God did not deliver them, they will keep his commandments. Where do they get that kind of power? Where do they get that kind of conviction? Where do they have that kind of source? What source do they have to be able to stand fast and make that declaration in the face of power? They echo the word of Job Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him." These three men were the few. We often put them as super-sized heroes, almost like a Marvel comic book out on the plain of Dora not recognizing that all around them were people who were related to them, if not, by an, if not by direct blood, by ancestry. Have we ever thought about what the peer pressure must have been like on the plain of Dura? And generally when we go to an event, we always go with our Friends. So, doubtless, when Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael attended that event, they didn't go by themselves, but they're the only three standing. What's happening to the rest of the Hebrews that are around them? What's happening to the rest of the Hebrews who say they believe in God, who say they trust God, who say they love God? These three Hebrew men are the few. They represent the remnant. They are a type of those who throughout the ages displayed an unshakable loyalty to Christ. They are a type of the remnant of Bible prophecy. I want to be a part of the remnant, how about you? We as Seventh-day Adventists have a tremendous advantage. And let me dispel this notion now, that when these types of messages are preached, we always default to, wow, there we go, saying that we're better than others. No, that is not what we are saying. If you ever, without a pilot's license, head to the cockpit before the plane actually taxis to the runway, and you get in the pilot's seat without the experience required to fly the plane that I am on, I'm getting off. It's not about better than. It is really about us understanding that God has given us a special assignment, and that assignment looks different than any other Christian faith. GYC, God has given us a job. It's time to do it. It's time to do it with faith and boldness and courage. It's time for us to believe the message, the truth, the prophetic declarations for this time. And I know that when we hear messages like this, we are prone to say, but we live in an imperfect world and there are so many imperfect elements within the church. Well, obviously. We have imperfections. Clifford Goldstein makes this profound statement in his book, The Remnant. He said, quote, the Seventh-day Adventist church, like ancient Israel, has been given far more light than eating other faith. And that light alone gives it corporate remnant status. Like the ancient Israel lights, with all of our corporate and individual imperfection, Christ has assigned us the distinct classification as His remnant people. We are the remnant people of Bible prophecy. Amen. We know that God will have to purify the church. And the time will come when the harvest is ready and the tares and the wheat are fully matured and God will separate the wheat from the tares. It must come. It will surely come. But the question is not will it come or when will it come, but which one will you be? Considering this, consider the sobering message from Ezekiel 18:20, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Friends, salvation, although we are in a corporate remnant, salvation is an individual matter. The Hebrew background of Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael did not save them. It wasn't because they hung out as a group that they were saved. They had to decide for themselves to stand for Jesus. How is your standing with Jesus? What are you really like when you leave these types of gatherings? What are you like in your home, on your job? in your schools. I want us to learn three lessons today about Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. I use their Hebrew names intentionally because ultimately their names have meaning. The first thing Nebuchadnezzar could not comprehend about those three men was. He had brought them forcibly to Babylon as a conquered people, but they were determined not to become Babylonians. Hananiah, Ezariah, and Mishael purposed in their heart that they would not defile themselves with the lifestyle of the Babylonians. The goal of the Babylonians did not impress them. The opulence and power did not entice them. And although they were few… They constantly relied on the power of Jesus. Christ made them stalwart in conviction, focused in commitment, and determined in attitude. They belonged to Jesus, and they would not break that bond. They defied the influence of culture and paganism. When you go in so many of our circles, the question has to be asked, what is the most important thing to you? And when it comes to Americans, the most important thing for them, I'm an American. But the answer should be, I'm a seventh-day Adventist Christian. Somebody say amen. amen. That needs to be what's important in our thinking, in our minds, in our outlook. The second thing is that Nebuchadnezzar could not comprehend that he had changed their names, which represents a change in identity and character, but they had not changed their loyalty to God. Every time Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael stepped out of their prayer closet, they knew who they were, and they knew whose they were. They were in Babylon, but Babylon was not in them. They had prayed and asked our Savior to give them his heart his mind, his convictions, his desires, his thoughts, his outlook, his values, his vision. Every day they stepped into their positions of leadership and responsibility. They had a simple objective to live a sold-out life to Jesus. They were captives, but they were free. They were in bondage, yet they had unrestricted faith. Thirdly, Nebuchadnezzar could not comprehend that he had moved Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael far away from the sanctuary. Somebody's going to hear this this morning. Far away from the sanctuary, but he could not erase the significance of the sanctuary out of them. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael knew the significance of the Shekinah glory evidenced above or over the mercy seat, above the ark of the testament, wherein were the tablets of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. They knew the sanctuary's importance. Do we still remember the importance? They knew the importance in history and position in relationship to their personal salvation. They knew serving Jesus was not cultural but relational with Jesus. They knew obedience was not circumstantial but transcended location and environment. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael would not succumb to peer pressure. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael would not relinquish their convictions. The more civil and religious pressure was applied, the more determined they were to live for Christ. They exhibited a resistance to unbiblical values, an unbiblical diet, and unbiblical worship. How is it with you, GYC? They modeled the characteristics of the final remnant. Let me take a page out of Dr. Norman McNulty's book recently published by Remnant, commentary in the book of Daniel, Practical Living in the Judgment Hour. He writes, the war raged on the remnant is seen in Revelation 13 with the issue of worship and the image to the beast ancient Babylon, specifically King Nebuchadnezzar, manifested the same wrath toward the faithful remnant of Daniel 3 by ordering the three Hebrew boys to be killed, just as there will be a death decree in Revelation 13, placed upon those who do not worship the image or receive the mark of the beast. When Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael stood and faced the tyrannical ruler, Nebuchadnezzar, everything about their visage, demeanor, their posture, their stalwart gaze spoke more loudly than their words. They weren't going to change their minds. They weren't going to change their convictions. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael were not going to change their allegiance. They were all in. Dr. McNulty clarifies how this became a focused few in this statement. Quote, the three Hebrew young men glorified God in their decision to put their lives on the line and not worship the image. And God decisively honored them by sending his son to be in their midst and preserve their lives from being consumed by the flames. Amen. Amen. When Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael were thrown into the furnace of destruction, they had proven their love, their loyalty, and their devotion to the Savior. Therefore, Jesus made himself personally responsible for their outcome. They made Christ everything, and Christ took them seriously. Notice, if you will, that when Jesus showed up, he had stopped all of his celestial business. He disrupted his heavenly operations, suspended his heavenly schedule, and appeared in their midst. Amen. GYC, we have a very, very, very difficult day or days ahead of us. We know the players. We have seen Satan's agenda. We have studied the significance of the battle revealed in the 1260 years of papal oppression. We have been forewarned that Christ, by Christ's Christ prophet to the remnant church recorded that we are not prepared. The final onslaught is overrunning the shores of our predictable, sometimes placid lives, and we have a semblance of peace like this Sabbath but a violent storm is rapidly approaching. The commitment of today is your resistance for tomorrow. The trust of today is your assurance in tomorrow. The submission of today is your transformation for tomorrow. I want to close with this admonition for what the pen of inspiration says we must be. As in the days of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so in the closing period of earth's history, the Lord will work mightily in behalf of those who stand steadfastly for the right. He who walked with the Hebrew worthies in the fiery furnace will be with his followers wherever they are. In the midst of the time of trouble, trouble such as has not been since there was a nation, his chosen ones will stand unmoved angels that excel in strength will protect them and in their behalf Jehovah will reveal himself as a God of gods able to save to the uttermost those who have put their trust in him so how do we get there how do we get there Ellen White gives us These sobering words, it is intended for men and women alike. The greatest want of the world is the want of men. Men who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their inmost, what everybody? Souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. Do You want to have these qualities? Do you want to be a part of the few who will stand for the right though all men forsake you. The quote continues. But such a character is not the result of accident. It is not due to special favors or endowments of providence. A noble character is the result of self-discipline, of the subjection of the Lord to the higher nature, the surrender of self for the service of love to God, and man. GYC, will you follow Jesus wherever he leads? Will you be the few? The hymn that is playing is entitled, Just As I Am. Without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. But the third verse is what's important. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings within and fears without. O Lamb of God, I come. I'm going to make a very unique appeal today. People follow their leaders, and leadership today is more important now than ever. There are three categories of leaders that are in our midst today. There are church leaders, pastors, and parents. Doesn't matter what your occupation is. Those three categories I want to challenge you to be an example to those who are here today, these youth and young adults, to make it known by taking a stand that you're all in. If you're all in for the Lord, and we don't know what 2020 holds, we don't know what 2021 holds, I invite you, leader, pastor, parent, to get up from your place and come down front. And let's pray together youth and young adults I don't want you to move yet I want you to see who's coming have so much that is hanging on your influence with those you lead and those you parent. They're watching you. Your influence with them is only as good as your life and your relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot say one thing to them and do another. The greatest test of your influence with your children is them being able to say, my parents my parents are consistent in their walk with Jesus. That's the most powerful gift your children can give to you. your members, and all those with whom you have influence. And now that you are here, and there's really not much room for anybody else, you can see that you are in fact the most important link in GYC being what it needs to be. The youth, the young adults, will follow you. They may not always like the role that you're taking. They may not always like the instruction given. They may not always understand the wisdom that you impart, but if you are willing to be bold, if you're willing to be strong, if you're willing to be faith-filled and faithful, God will do something through you. Now for my young people, these leaders have made a decision I want you to make a decision too if you're all in in 2020 and beyond I want you to stand to your feet right where you are Father in heaven you are so wonderful to be so patient with us as we have so frequently lived such inconsistent lives, but Your grace and Your mercy has pulled us back. You've not given up on us when we have not been faithful to You. But Lord, it's no longer an opportunity for us to play church and to hide behind our titles and our pedigree and our generational history. Lord, it's time for us to stand as never before. We have an unpopular message. They're going to laugh at us, Lord. They laughed at Noah. (laughs) We're going to have some people in our midst who don't believe, like Lot and his wife. We're going to have some who are still trying to build a kingdom here on earth, like the apostles. But Lord, I pray that you will keep working on our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit and that you will convict us and that you will purge out of our characters by faith in Jesus facing toward the most holy place where he is right now, making intercession for us. I pray, O oh God, that you will empower us to stand for you. And if, Lord, as leaders and as parents, we lose our job because we have taken a stand, may we show our children, may we show these young people what it means to stand faithful in the face of a fiery furnace. If things happen in our lives that we don't want, if cancer wrecks our bodies, and disease overwhelms our frame, may we have the presence of mind through the power of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to, Lord, go down even if it means we have to die and we have to lay down and rest. Lord, may we never doubt or fuss or complain about what you're doing in our lives. You've chosen us as leaders, as parents. And Lord, I pray that you would keep us faithful. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Just as I This message was recorded at the GYC Conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.